Hey folks and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... The Lord of the Rings, the 1978 version by Ralph Bakshi, Evil Dead by Fede Alvarez, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On by Dean Fleischer Camp, we have newly released Evil Dead Rise by Lee Cronin, and finally, Bo is Afraid, directed by Ari Aster. It's going to be a great show, folks, so stay tuned and enjoy. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Hey, Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay. On my end, how was your week of movies, man? A little out there. <laughs> it was a little out there. Yeah. Uh, well, Bo is Afraid is a doozy of a film, if, in case you haven't heard any kind of beginning buzz. Well, I certainly just saw it's three hours long, <laughs> and it's Walking Phoenix for three hours, so I'm sure you got went through some emotional toll. Yeah, some, some, some toll. <laughs> and then, of course, you threw, I don't know, you threw Lord of the Rings in there, which is awesome. Yeah, that was honestly just a, like Marcel, a movie. I just wanted to watch, so um, you know. <laughs> it's, well, I love, well, it's, it's, it's extends from the Hobbit that we've d- yep. we did a few weeks back. Yep. So, and some some people might be interested in going back a few episodes then for that. Yep, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was happy about it, and then I know we're going to have some listeners. I was happy about it. Marcel, the shell with shoes on, <laughs> you snuck that in there. <laughs> I was, I was, I wasn't expecting that this week. Yeah, I, I think did it was we just... berate you enough. <laughs> I think you maybe I'm opening up the floodgates here. Break me enough, and I'll watch it. No, I, I it was legitimately on something I wanted to watch for last year. Right. Um, it was for me though. I I just felt. I don't know. I felt the pressure that there was so much horror this week. Oh, my God. I know. All month, yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to throw it in. I mean, it's going to be kind of surreal going from Evil Dead 2013, <laughs> Marcel, and then new Evil, Evil Dead. Dead. So <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit awkward there. But, yeah, that that was – I needed something kind of light uh, with it. Okay. I'm very excited to hear that. But first, let's go back to 1978. This is The Lord of the Rings, directed by Ralph Bakshi. Mm. And let's kind of get into this. I don't know if a lot of people realize – that there wasn't uh, an animated feature length Lord of the Rings yep, yep. in 1978. It did kind of stem because there was an animated Hobbit, like we talked about, mm-hmm. that Ralph and uh, no, not Ralph. Oh yeah, uh, I'm already forgetting the duo. And then they do Return of the King. Uh, that that same yes. director duo. Okay, so called Frosty and Snow the Snowman. <laughs> for now, <laughs> I forget, forget him. So uh, yeah, I don't know. We've had a lot of director duos too. So <laughs> they're the classic. Yeah, they're the classic ones that did the Christmas movies. I honestly can't believe that I can't remember them. But I know. so this is the Lord of the Rings, like you said. It doesn't cover the entire trilogy. This yeah. kind of covers. If you look at the modern day movies that we know, yeah. this is the first and second. Yeah. And it kind of says the return of the king, which makes sense because then they make the return of the king. <laughs> right, right. Animated. Yeah. It's two hours and 12 minutes. It's long. It's PG. <laughs> For so an animated. Yeah. Yes. And I watched it. 
So let's Ooh. let's <laughs> let's kind of get into it. Um, what's covered here, and how'd you like it? Sure, sure. Uh, I think I like this one a degree better than The Hobbit, and I'm kind of coming away overall with that in the vast landscape of the possible adaptations of Tolkien's work. Right. I think this could fit a very weird but <laughs> you know a a very unique uh spot for an interpretation of the lord of the rings this is a rendition that combines the fellowship of the ring and then a very very condensed two towers uh and directed by the legendary ralph bakshi just like we covered in the hobbit from 1977 the art style and the animation here often isn't the prettiest. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the greatest to look at sometimes. It's cool sometimes. Specifically the hobbits and faces. There's a weird quality to it, and that's really belonging to this non-Disney style of the 70s. Bakshi was a rising talent at the time, working in animation, stepping into... Directing more and more in the mid-70s, his 1977 film Wizards being a great mm -hmm. example of his visual style blending in live and animated footage. Though not a great movie on, on its own, we gave it a 44 pre-podcast. <laughs> Wizards was a little rough, so <laughs> luckily this one was better, and even just a year later in 78, him coming into this as well with an IP that he's kind of working in confi uh, in the in the constraints of. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's uh, the sweet spot for him here. Uh, I would say I want to start with animation. I just want to... Mm -hmm. I, I, you I, fine with starting with animation? I, I, yeah, I think that's a proper place to start. Okay. okay. Animation is... I feel it has a lot more polish uh, than what we touched on The Hobbit. Definitely uh, what I remember from Wizards in 77. Uh, we touched on the technique of rotoscoping in one or two times before. I believe we touched on rotoscoping in um, uh, Loving Vincent, mm. uh, that Vincent Van Gogh film. Just as a reminder for folks that don't know, rotoscoping is basically having live footage uh, of, of real characters that is animated over uh, in whatever style the team wants to create. And, and I would say it's, it's, it's pretty wonderful here as the movement of characters is so unique and so fluid. I feel like this added to a, I don't know, an otherworldliness, especially with a fantasy film. Uh, like I said, it's not the prettiest at times, but <laughs> the motion is, is pretty unique. With this technique, though, it's... Uh, it's all animated, yes, but in many ways. Uh, no matter what, there's always footage being rotoscoped over, but not everyone gets the same amount of love. Uh, the entire film is kind of presented in degrees or spectrum of this rotoscoping. For instance, all members of the Fellowship are fully animated. They have <laughs> the full treatment. They're fully colored and, and in Bakshi style. And also, they look very funny because they have this like morphing face. This, uh, as, I'll, as I'll say later, this kind of mashed potato face <laughs> that kind of shifts all yeah. over. Some characters more than others, yeah. but definitely it's like it's a way of them trying to get some sort of facial expressions on these yeah. on these rough cartoon characters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine. I, I, well, I guess I can only imagine it's from the actors trying to do those emotions in whatever the underlying performance is, and then Bakshi is animating over it, but. Some just, I don't know, this, this mashed potato faces, they just look weird. Frodo specifically, they just hold on his face so long sometimes, and he's just going through emotions. So one kind of note that I had is, 
Well, uh, with the animation, uh-huh. I think because you have these weird seconds at a time between <laughs> blocks of dialogue where we're just left to kind of watch what's going on on the screen, <laughs> and very little is happening. And I think that's it's trying to get across emotion via characters. Right, right. But because the animation could be so rough... <laughs> They do these drastic things with the faces or something like yep. that. And it just kind of looks weird <laughs> and, and doesn't quite sell it. Yeah. And I'll jump in a oh, little yeah, bit. Go for it. With the animation, it, it is quite a cornucopia. It is a f- weird fruit salad <laughs> of, a, fruit vi- of salad. a visual type of feast that you get. Because yeah. like you said, with the rotoscoping yep. mixed also with pure animation, mm-hmm. and then you have actual basically painted landscapes yeah. or painted set pieces mm-hmm. and then that's pasted on things so you're dealing with a lot of of, of different things yeah. and it's like you said can be cool sometimes it's straight up confusing yeah. what might be happening on this screen <laughs> right it's really at any point you could be dealing with any number of animation styles mm. and combining in any ways or sometimes they're left alone yeah. and then you're only getting one type of thing yeah only getting rotoscoping with and with real landscape yeah yeah or fake landscape that's a painting yep. with rotoscoping, or you get a mash of all a three. A mash of both. That's what I mean by there's almost these degrees of how much it's done. Yeah. Main characters get the full treatment, but in action sequences, for instance, sometimes it's just a color tinting on real people acting in and, costumes. In the beginning. Yeah. Right. The be- entire beginning is, is very much that. Yeah, yeah. So then when we flip the switch, and like I said, sometimes the set pieces are wacky. <laughs> You it's were... just wacky sometimes, to, <laughs> yeah, to yeah. say the least. But uh, I think I'm at it with you. We're kind of interesting. Not yeah. necessarily good. Right. And not necessarily bad. Yeah. I, I, I feel uh, I, I just how it was with Hobbit. I, I like a different interpretation of this world, mm-hmm. as weird as it may be. But I don't know. It's kind of... I don't know. It's not uh, not untainted, but uh, yeah, there's there's something to it uh, that I enjoy as a Lord of the Rings there's fan, something, as an animation. There's fan. something to be said too, where it's where we have Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings in our head because of the movies and what Peter Jackson did with right. it. And they, you know, these are people that really took text mm-hmm. and put images to it for basically the first time. Yeah, and it's just funny to see how many parallels there are to this to the actual movies oh, that we know it's, absolutely it's unreal and it really goes to show just how detailed and good of a writer tolkien is mm. a lot of people don't love tolkien even though they like the work in general okay reading him can be tedious and a lot and it drags on mm-hmm. but he's very good at not only setting up a scene he's very good at detailing the scene mm. to very specific points and i think that's why when you watch this to years later decades later when you're watching the actual right. Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. And it's because we have such a detailed writer at hand. Sure, sure. I think that's a great observation because it's just the, the through line between the two is, guess what? It's the source material. It's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, not necessarily bad, even though it definitely looks bad sometimes. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily good, even though sometimes it is. it can be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll just make one more other note sure. and then before I let you go, before I let you get out of here. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> um I did find the animation more pleasant than The Hobbit. Oh, okay. Like, I just thought... That's the, a good thing. I thought the dwarves were just so ugly, <laughs> and The Hobbits aren't that bad. Sam looks a little weird, but like... Fro- oh, Sam looks vile. <laughs> Frodo looks a little bit normal. Aragorn yeah. looks a little bit normal. Gand- you know what I mean? They all <laughs> yeah. look a little bit more ap- appeasing or not as gross, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a, it's just helpful to watch a two-hour and 12-minute film. Absolutely. It's a little less schoolhouse rock. It's more kind of just your normal Western fantasy. Yeah. Like they no, look so like just normal fantasy Yeah, characters. higher budget for 78 animation. Sure, 
Sure, absolutely. In these kind of in this presentation, kind of just to kind of put a cap on on these these degrees of rotoscoping, it's either they get the full treatment, they get a slightly peeled back layer for action sequences where you might see the core actor's costume or realistic texture that isn't fully animated, and then the least degree, which we see in the um, in the bar they go into, uh, right in the you know the opening scenes, prancing pony. Yeah, <laughs> is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I should have known with the, <laughs> the talking nerd sitting across. There, there is a degree there that only color tinted or overlap, overlaid characters are in that scene, um, but mostly are untouched in that animation style. That's where I feel like it's done the laziest. That's where I feel like, man, what I what I would do to just give them an extra year or two to f- almost finish it. It feels a mm. little bit unfinished at times when is what I'm saying. Well, when you have so much going on, like so many different styles at once. Um, or so the ones where they don't have styles, where it's just, you know, oh, okay. it, it feels like production just said, yeah, these bar, you know, patrons, we don't need to animate them like the fellowship. I wish the whole thing was animated to the degree of the fellowship. Ah, Okay. I don't know. It was it was certainly different to see because mm-hmm. you could tell you were dealing with full animation and then people with the rotoscoping. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I didn't hate it. Okay. I am. I almost because what it is a lot of basically what is rotoscoped is men for the for a lot and, yeah. and orcs kind of and I don't know it. I, I can't say more than it worked and it didn't work at the same sure. time. As unhelpful as that is <laughs> for anyone listening. Right. It's almost like you got to see it to understand yeah, it. It definitely is a movie that you have to see to understand for sure. I guess uh, story-wise, it, it, it's real simple. I mean, it is The Fellowship, uh, but Two Towers is basically compressed into the last 30 minutes of it. It's odd. I can't help but feel that some things are better paced, but that middle second act felt like an eternity to me. I don't know why. I mean, it's the same story. <laughs> I, I don't know why I was. Re- it was really pulling teeth. Um, and I'll, I'll comment on it in a bit, but if anything, this made me appreciate the Jackson trilogy even more uh, mm. to see that execution is the key to adapting any kind of story, no less The Lord of the Rings. Right. So uh, Now, the actual style of the film is where you will either love this or hate this. Everyone, like... I said has this mashed potato face that they just kind of like the, the shot will be there and they just kind of settle their their face like kind of just morphs around <laughs> i'm telling you i'm not i wasn't on mushrooms or anything like that watching this i mean it is it is the own animation um with how specifically faces are animated it's honestly hysterical sometimes to look how odd characters are sam looks just vile i feel like he was the worst character yeah i wish he was better i, w- yeah. I wish they did a better job on sam especially with how generic almost mary and pippin are you know like why'd they why'd they do that to my boy sam i know and frodo <laughs> looks appropriately frodo right right i have to say uh, aragorn is I, I i didn't think he looked great but he's also like native american for some a reason a little bit he, i thought the same thing a little native american e yeah and yeah. maybe that was just the actor underneath the rotoscoping but uh man no, that's john hurt that's the one oh, really? actor that maybe is recognizable for people. <laughs> John Hurt does Aragorn. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think they were just trying to go for something. He definitely felt a little bit older. I wish. I'm yeah. so used to Vigo. Right. Who's exactly. just like, oh, that's just Aragorn. Clearly, <laughs> that's Aragorn. Yeah, he's not. He's not pulling any elves or anything. Like I thought that. everybody else was fine. Yeah. 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 Uh, Frodo, I think, is. 
again, just just kind of, I don't know, um, he doesn't look bad. If anything, Frodo looks the best uh, as far as the smoothness of animation, mm, the motion, mm-hmm. the fluidity of it. Uh, he has this kind of cowboy swagger to him. He's always got his thumbs in his belt. <laughs> He's like walking around yeah. like this. <laughs> I think that's a little Hobbit-esque, though. Uh, true. Yeah. Very true. I get, uh, look, I get very Elijah Wood vibes from <laughs> From this animated Frodo. He was watching Down it. to the voice, down to... Th- I mean, oh, True. Sam, oh, Sam. I mean, it was very, like, uh, I like this. <laughs> but yeah, the the sometimes... And it's with Frodo specifically that he is... I don't know. He, he's going through, like, three-plus emotions in every scene, and we just yeah. stay on him. And uh, Just a again, little bit too long. I think it's hysterical. I was having a ball <laughs> watching this. I wanted Frodo I, in I every scene know. because of this. <laughs> I don't know why we had these, these blocky <laughs> sets for dialogue, yep. and then in between, just... Quiet moments, yeah, of just weird, of just, just like his yeah, face okay. is settling. They just stay know? on it for a little bit too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, I I think my note there is I I was enjoying it. I certainly got like just entertainment value out of it, right. just for how weird and out there it looked. Uh, but um, I think that's going to be really the hit or miss here. And guess what? You know, you have a phenomenal alternative if you don't <laughs> right. like this you right, know, in right. the Jackson trilogy. On the other hand, I think these weird quirks help pretty much every aspect of evil. Uh, even when they're less animated, it really sells an unsettlingness to the opposition. The Nazguls and the Orcs, honestly, I think look amazing. They're always paired with these super low camera angles that make them more imposing than they are. You see this in the Nazgul when whenever I'm on, they're on the horse, the the actual camera of how they're how they're being how they're filming the, the real horses and the guys in a cloak, top of it. Uh, it's super low, so kind of sells a fantasy there. But like I mentioned a bit ago, the movie drags in parts despite being chock full of content. I think a reason for this is that the opposition really isn't super threatening. Action-wise, it's very old-fashioned. It's kind of like this swashbuckling, you know, sword fighting style. Of course, this is where the real footage is only slightly rotoscoped, so it's lacking that visual style as well. I think for combining especially the two towers into this, mm-hmm. I feel like the action was really lacking. Uh, those action sequences I was not looking forward to because it dropped in quality of that animation. Yeah, I think it was the worst part of the... Yeah. The action was the worst part of this film. Exactly. So, And, and also, it kind of did the the cool evil aspects wrong because... I don't know. They didn't do anything. They didn't live up to how imposing they looked, uh, being these like mm-hmm. nightmarish, you know, black silhouettes uh, to the film. <laughs> right. So, yeah. The Helm's Deep sequence is a perfect example of this. Orcs may visually be strong, but they do little in terms of action. And uh, like I said, this is a great example in showing how the execution of an identical story is everything. Uh, The Jackson trilogy may be much longer and have its own critiques, but its execution is flawless of this story. Nonetheless, I think I really think that this wasn't a bad time, and I had a lot of fun with the animation style. That style has a, a role to play in the animation of this world and how it is presented to us, and for that reason, I think this is a valid entry in adapting Tolkien's books. We're going to go ahead and give The Lord of the Rings, 1978, a 66. Wow. A degree above Wow. Degree above Hobbit. What did you give Hobbit? A sixty-five. Damn. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm really I'm yeah, 65, 66 is very good. I 65 think, is higher than Hobbit, I think, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we already spent a lot of time on it. I have three main things. Okay. Okay. So I have to I had you in my mind a little bit because <laughs> 
they do move at times you're moving along and yeah. i'm just like okay th- because like you said the two towers is condensed to kind of the last third oh, yeah. last half an hour and like this is perfect for finn it's his least favorite film <laughs> um one note is it's kind of funny how how the peter jackson f- breaks up the films in the same way that this does oh yeah peter jackson's fellowship in two towers basically are exactly what this lord of the rings compromises yep and that's not how it goes with the books oh really you know shelob happens in the two towers, interesting, and yet they both Shelob happens in the return, presumably of the, in the yeah, Return, return of, the of the King, King. Wow. For, for animated and and Peter Jackson, which wow. is kind of funny. Uh, another thing is, I I was shocked to see so much. Con- uh, it's kind of like okay, two hours and twelve minutes. It's long for an animated sure. film. Yeah, but I was like, they they hit it. I said they get the points across. Yeah. They are kind of where they need to be, and things are happening, and it's just like wow, they're actually doing this. Yeah. In parts, it's moving very quick, and they're getting things done. Oftentimes, like you said, it felt like it was dragging a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I think poor animation sometimes, sure. that's just kind of what you're going to get. Those emotion shots. I mean, even the beginning stuff where, where the description of how we get to the mm. intro, basically, of the Fellowship of the mm-hmm. Ring and everything. You know, it's no Cape Plant Jet. Uh, <laughs> but they do it, and they do it in a bit of a weird way. But they get the story across yeah. a little bit. I was shocked that they were hitting the moments. And then I would have to say, you know, I, I'm not going to give this. I'm not going to give this two shoes. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to give this a Tommy two shoes score. Okay. I didn't care about it enough. I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah. I'm glad I did watch it. Sure. And I have to say, I'm coming away really positive about it because about 12 to 15 minutes in, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is what I can show my kids oh. before they're old enough for Peter Jackson. Sure. Sure. Like it's perfect because they get everything across. Yeah, everything happens. It's it's very quick, or it brushes some things, or yep. you get ideas across. It's funny going from Peter Jackson to watching this, mm. and I think it would be so much better to go from this to Peter Jackson, oh, of course, because the expansion. It would be it would be a dream come true if, if so. They, I, maybe the risk is not liking it, right? <laughs> not like the Lord of the Rings seeing this first. As an adult, it's an extremely unique watch. And yeah. again, that's why I'm happy to watch it. But it made me excited because, boy, when I have a kid in there, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, sure. it's like, oh my, I cannot find, I have something to give them. <laughs> right. I was, I saw The Fellowship of the Ring in theaters mm-hmm. and I've, I was, what, seven? Oof. And we got to the point, we went, I went to go see, it was me, my brother, my cousin, and my uncle go took us, take us to go see the Shaggy Dog with Tim <laughs> Allen. And we all were like, even my seven-year-old self, we were like, this is dumb. Let's go Lord of the Rings. <laughs> the my uncle kept on saying, Whenever, if you need to go, if we want to go, we'll go. If we yeah, need to go. Yeah. And I was like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Up until the Urukai came out of the slime oh, from Saruman, yeah. I said, can we go? And I said, all right. And then we had to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so... At that age, at a seven-year-old, I would love to show him this Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, it's so a much lot less gross. Um, <laughs> but those are, that's my takeaway. I pretty much—I don't think I disagree with really anything you said. I think we're on the same page. Yeah, do you basically. think sixty-six is too high? It's generous. Yeah, <laughs> for how weird I, the movie is. I honestly don't. I don't know where I would put it because I'm—I'm I'm coming away from a positive too. I mean, I could mm-hmm. rip it apart with some of the animation. Sure. I have to say, going into it, I wasn't expecting much with action. Mm. So when the action came, it's just like. I thought it was a given. I, I was assuming it was it was a given for me. That's a good point. That's a good point. Like Helm's Deep was underwhelming. Uh, right. Uh, no it's shocker. It's like a hill. <laughs> yeah. No. No shocker there. Yeah. Um, I was impressed with the way they actually got the story notes down. It was so cool to see exact exact things happening. Scenery some somewhat even looked the exact same at yeah, times than yeah, Peter yeah. Jackson. Obviously, the quotes are the exact same. Mm-hmm. And like I said, a huge testament to uh, J.R.R. Tolkien as as a writer. Right. And how much involved and how detailed he gets. Mm-hmm. So 
it was quite a joy. So I know I'm definitely above 50% yeah. and around 60 or something like that. Okay. So I don't think it's too high. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think it was... Uh, it kind of earned its uh, its own stripes, and especially just for being out weird. So, if you want a weird watch, folks, go ahead. Yeah, and, <laughs> go ahead and, and put that on your watch list. All righty, that was the Lord of the Rings, nineteen seventy eight, with the sixty six. Sorry, spent a decent amount of time on that. Let's go to another movie. I cannot wait to show my kids. Also, <laughs> this is two thousand and thirteen. This is Evil Dead. Rated R, quick hour and 30. This is directed by Fide Alvarez. Yes. And, of course, we have the new Evil Dead film. So how does the first one do? How do we like it? And how kind of do we get into the story? So uh, it was actually, I was thinking that this 2013 reboot, it's a reboot reimagining of the original trilogy. Okay. Uh, I thought this was playing into the new one. It totally unrelated. So I I basically just... Oh, so I was wrong. Okay. Yeah, it was more so, uh, it's more so knocking out, I guess, the, the remaining of the Evil Dead franchise. No, that's good. Okay. So. Okay, so still totally just stands alone. Uh, and how was it? Uh, <laughs> not that good. Let's let's get some history out of the way with the franchise because obviously, obviously, I wasn't covering the originals. Um, uh, the Evil Dead, nineteen eighty one. Uh, Evil Dead two, nineteen eighty seven, and Army of Darkness in nineteen ninety two were all originally directed by Sam Raimi. And on a whim, we covered these early on in the podcast because I never saw them. And the legend, and I mean really legend, of these films is that they are kind of quintessential campy cult classics. Uh, Folks, you can listen to those reviews for my expanded thoughts, but sadly, I was not a fan. Uh, I certainly am glad I watched them to experience Raimi's Honestly, iconic directing in those in those three movies, but I felt they were a coin flip on whether the campiness worked or not, and how the horror worked or not. Right. If yeah. you want my kind of reduced thoughts, uh, this 2013 reboot aimed to strip that camp and goofiness out of the idea and clock the horror way way up. Uh, so much so that this is one of the goriest films I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, really? Oh, yeah. You've seen a lot. I've seen seen a lot. Wow. Between body mutilation and a lot of vile, gross out moments, uh, this might have been uh, a step in the right direction for the horror side of this, but this is in the hands of a much weaker director, Fede Alvarez, which we cross paths with in The Girl in the Spider's Nest, Mm. the last of the American Millennium series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was weak. Yeah, a very weak movie. This very weak as well. It's a shame because apparently he was a huge fan of Evil Dead. This was like a a dream come true for him, so... uh, But this one is not doing it. Once again, we have some young adults come across the Necronomicon, a.k.a. the Book of the Dead, in a creepy, haunted, middle of nowhere cabin. Uh, This Evil Dead is pretty much a full-on remake, and basically making this the third time around this happens, because Evil Dead 2 has a condensed version of Evil Dead 1 in it, Uh, devoid of any charm in the original. This time, the group of morons have decided to get their friend and sister sober, yet they chose this creepy cabin. I'm telling you, I'm running in, even though the goofiness is out of this, I'm running into my same problems with this, is that just, it's total idiocy. I have no, Mm. I have no No, no. (laughs) care of these characters. I have have no attachment to them. You have no competent character that you want to attach yourself with. Right. Or you can relate to. No problem solving, no, you know, I mean, it just feels like that, they're they're totally at the whims of yeah, this. Yes, a little frustrating. Uh, yeah. But don't worry, this plot thread of addiction is abandoned very quickly. Initially, I thought it was cool that they 
paired the horror with the withdrawal of, of their friends and tying that into the scares, but it is abandoned like the new cabin that they inhabit. Uh, it is very serious in its approach and loses the fun, chaotic demons the franchise is known for, uh, but instead does little to replace it, creating more of a generic exorcist-style feel to the possession, and I feel this was a specific failure for this being a remake or a reboot to replace the one aspect that worked the best with just generic garbage. Yeah. Uh, mm. The demon possession is just like wannabe exorcists, where if anything can be said around the original trilogy is that the demons are so out there and crazy and manic. I mean, that that's really the enjoyment to the camp mm. there. Uh, I was experiencing deja vu a lot with this. The purpose of the film is to be full-on scary with no comedy, yet characters are still idiotic. (laughs) (laughs) They choose to be in this creepy abandoned cabin to get their friends sober. Why? (laughs) Why do we stay in the house? Uh, Why do we recite the demon book? (laughs) I mean, like, at least with the jokiness, I don't know. There's there's a degree there that it's allowed to happen. But here, I feel the answers to all of this was previous in service to that over-the-top camp. Here, there are no excuses to it. Um, We touched on this in our review for Barbarian, that sometimes you need a character to act illogically to move the horror along. Um, It's what the crowd has come to see, after all. You know, it's it's still bad. I get it. It's still bad. Uh, it's not good. Some very plain and unimaginative, creepy music. Super weak sound design. The score sounds like some royal team free music half mm. the time. I mean, we could probably cook up something here. Uh, and I'll give some slight credit. Uh, maybe the film tries to copy some of the Raimi style camera movements. Definitely plays to Alvarez being a huge fan of the original, but um, but that's honestly about it when it comes to comes to that. The real highlight here is this being it being a absolute gore fest. Uh, there is there is enough to warrant an NC seventeen rating like the original. Honestly, wow. yeah. Um, scares are grotesque and will have you wincing away often. Specifically, body horror is clocked way up. There's also a lot of gross-out horror akin to something like 2005's Hostel or the Lesser Saw sequels, even. But the reason why this is a praise is that none of it, and I mean none of it, is CGI. Uh, And that's pretty awesome. Fake blood. Oh, yeah. yeah. Squibs, uh, fake blood. uh, I mean, it is really, really taken to a whole new level. Okay. Um, It's something to keep in mind as you're watching because this gets pushed to its absolute limits. And and though it's excessive, it really looked great. I think the film's commitment to practical effects should absolutely be applauded, and this is where it gets a slight recommendation. I feel like any hardcore horror fan or VFX buff walk away with a shocking appreciation for this film, just trying to wrap your head around how they actually got away with so much of the body horror and so much of the gore. Right, yeah. Huh. Beyond that, though... You know, that slight production praise, I found this to be a lesser remake and failed as it, at its objective uh, in making a serious Evil Dead. I think the fact that this story is now presented a third time doesn't help, but <laughs> it certainly falls short even as a standalone movie. We're going to go ahead and give Evil Dead 2013 a 40 on the dot. Okay, 40, not very good. Yeah. And 
is Evil Dead, did they turn that into a video game as well? There's a video game. There's a TV show. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah. it really is. There's an expanded an expansion. Universe. Okay. Forty <laughs> percent. Yeah. Uh, not very. Not very good at all. I think it's funny, but we don't really talk about body horror or that kind of stuff or gross out, gross out horror. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I think the last time we really talked about it was it came up when you watched Silent Night. You mean a violent night? Oh, violent night. Yep, yes, yep. violent night. It's similar gore. Violent night was pretty. pretty I remember gory. you saying, yeah, yeah. you made invention of it. <laughs> uh, okay, Evil Dead, forty percent, and uh, okay, and it has nothing to do with the one that just came out. Yeah, that's honestly, actually very good to know. Yeah, I yeah. just had assumed they were connected. As did I. Uh, it was almost <laughs> to a point that I was I was then searching for even like Easter eggs of how they're connected. No, nothing. No. So. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, really, uh, in that point, Evil Dead is always about the Necronomicon. It's someone finding the Book of the Dead, and that's where it goes. It's like Jumanji. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we'll move, we'll move on to the much-anticipated Marcel, the shell with shoes on. Yeah. Uh, it, it, this technically released in 2021 mm-hmm. at the Telluride Fest Festival, but it was really released in the States in, in June of just last year. Yeah. Yep. So. It, it was never a wide release. I know I tried to see it at one point, and mm-hmm. after, I think it was out for a week or two, and already it was kind of difficult to find a theater that was playing it. Yeah. But it definitely had some sort of recognition, not a lot of awards or anything like that, but I know it's different. It's a little weird. It's a cute, <laughs> I think it's a cute animation. Uh, Vin, what exactly is Marcel the Shell with shoes on? <laughs> a doozy, a mouthful. Okay. <laughs> um, Marcel the Shell is presented in a kind of a mock documentary style. This got some, some critical nominations for its animation but really marcel yeah. is the only thing animated it, it was nominated for an oscar it, it's not yeah. that it wasn't nominated right like right. i said but it, it was i think more talked about than it was actually kind of got that the praise of the accolades right does that right. make sense yeah know. yeah and also in the offering of a24 you know this is definitely on their i don't know not dramatic side but it feels it felt like a new stretch for a24 being more kind of kid-based yeah. if you will mm-hmm. so th- this whole premise was originally created as a 2010 internet short video uh, now a feature length film uh, Marcel the shell is hopelessly optimistic uh, he's a little shell that gets exposed to the world through having a YouTube series uploaded about him filmed by his new friend Dean both of them use this new fame to try to find Marcel's family uh, discover how big the world really is and deal with the fear of change uh, and that's really kind of our our, our cornerstone and, and, and what emotion is being conjured up by this film. Big shout out to Jenny Slate uh, voicing Marcel hmm. uh, because she is so key to this character, both for how great she does in creating this kind of cute, you know, little boy voice in a shell. Also, creating the concept. Uh, it's not just a cute voice. There is some character building to Marcel, believe it or not. Hmm, okay. Um, and this may be where the A24-ness kind of comes into play, that it's it's beyond what it appears to be. Um, Marcel is a inquisitive, unique character, and having that crafted by Slate is 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 impressive. I think it's a it's a really good performance, as minor as it may feel to be. I'd honestly put Marcel up there with the great Pixar characters because of the emotional oh. depth brought home in this performance. Um, what what what? <laughs> who's the Mount Rushmore Pixar character? Ooh, so. that'll be fun. Yeah, let's give that some thought. You okay. know what? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll put that in the newsletter. I'm gonna check it out. <laughs> Um, but that's good just because there's depth there there's enough there's enough there for this character that actually is quite 
touching. Yeah. Something you can connect with a Yeah, bit. and I think that's where this takes it up a notch. I mean, if it was just a cute voice, it's a very cute voice. It's a very cute concept, but it does have almost a Pixar-like emotional depth yeah. to it. cool. And I feel like this was that's where this kind of critical praise was coming into. This project was born over seven years of production with her now ex-husband, who plays the... Dean in the movie, Dean Fleischer Camp, uh, and the director of this. Clearly, this idea transcended even their relationship, and this wonderful film is is proof of that. I'll jump over into some music notes. Some very cool music in this one. Uh, really love the soundtrack. Um, it is playful, curious, almost Rugrat-like, <laughs> if I had to okay. make a comparison to something. Um, you know, really, really soft synths echo out, like wind chimes. We get muted flutes and wood blocks that fill the tracks, and all of it creates a very cute, innocent atmosphere. I can't stress enough how important the pairing of this is with Marcel. If there's a lesson to the film, is that a one-inch tall perspective creates a different outlook on life. So for Marcel to be curious, this kind of musical atmosphere creates a curiosity in us as well. Uh, I had so many notes while watching this about the unique tone crafted through the sound. Did you and, know? <laughs> Did you know before? No. You didn't know before you Not watched it? Not until research. Wow. I swear to God. Wow. Go ahead. Uh, what do I find in the research of the film? It is goddamn disaster piece. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite, favorite composers working right now. Um, I really think disaster piece is up there with the greats. Seriously, folks, if you haven't heard anything from Richard, uh, I'm sorry, Richard Vreeland, aka Disaster Piece, he is up there. And uh, if you have homework coming off of this week, go and listen to any of the soundtracks he's done. Uh, I mean, it's really fun. Yeah, I'll, I'll step in because I know how much you like Disaster Piece. I mean, you liked it in Under the Silver Lake, which wasn't on the podcast, right, but right. but we have uh, have it on the kind of the master list on the site. Yep. But then you loved. I mean, he does Bodies, 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 yep. which I believe that got best. Did that win a Tom Daly? I think that for did. soundtrack. Okay, I think, I think there, they gave it to Disaster <laughs> And there you go. It's Disaster Piece for Bob. Um, <laughs> I feel like Disaster Piece very much is like an Edgar Wright kind of for you. Where sure. I don't think Disaster Piece, not that Edgar Wright isn't well known, mm -hmm. but when you think of these great directors, mm -hmm. slowly you've been realizing that Edgar Wright deserves to, is, is slowly kind of creeping yep. up there in, in some of the greats. Absolutely. Disaster Piece is, is starting to make a name for himself. Yeah, a new we, modern great right. is what I'm We all say. know Danny Elfman. We all know. We all know. Uh, <laughs> John Williams. Right, John yeah, Williams yeah, yeah. and things like that. Disaster Piece is kind of a young guy coming up and almost every film it's unique enough where you've been you've been digging it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh and I, again I think to this one uh, I had almost countless notes about this atmosphere that matches and is paired so perfectly with Marcel's curiosity. The whole point of the movie is to mm -hmm. be curious. Uh and how maybe that curiosity can kind of hurt you sometimes even and the soundtrack was was how that atmosphere was created for the audience and uh, again i mean it was a pleasant surprise i mean almost identical I'm to bodies 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 that you that didn't know that he was the guy right, yeah. that makes it even more that makes it more better yeah yeah i had a organic kind of discovering of that so uh that was really wonderful and uh you know super super Happy that I, I added this to a, to a weird week, even though it's kind of the outlier of everything. So, But yeah, I, I don't have, honestly, too much more to say about this. I thought this was a wonderful little movie. And it's not that I don't have much more to say for lack of critique, but funny enough, I think it's to avoid spoilers. Um, 
I feel the topics covered in this film are softly tackled. It's usually brought up in an observation by Marcel and then kind of left alone. And we kind of just like sit with it uh, as a topic. But it's in that soft touch that the emotion of the film was real. And I mean like really real. I don't think this movie would have worked in a Pixar-level production despite having its emotional beats. Uh, it's too intimate for that level of production. Mm. I felt its indiness, its A24-ness, if yeah, you will, yeah. played that, that format played to it well. Uh, it's a cozy film to watch on a rainy day, maybe even up close on a laptop with headphones, just so you can try to get on Marcel's level. We're going to go ahead and give Marcel the shell with shoes on a 77. Wow, 77. Oh, that's, a, that's a very good score, oh, Ben. Yeah. I like that review a lot, actually. Because I kind of just had a thousand foot view of it. I, I was totally, it totally got nominated a, a whole bunch too. Yeah. I thought it wasn't for some reason. It was just this indie thing that people were talking about. <laughs> right, right. No, it was talked about and it was nominated yeah. for a bunch. So I don't know what I was talking about in the beginning. Uh, and it has but, this internet legacy too. Uh, oh, yes. This, yeah. The idea of there's a video post about Marcel goes viral on the internet. Internet really did happen. So there's a kind of a cool, cool transfer there. Yeah, 77 is a great score. Mm-hmm. So that's Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Matt D, there you go. It's a 77. <laughs> <laughs> with that, folks, let's get into our producer segment. So, Vin, we do have a producer for this uh, this week. We have, I think, a new producer coming in. We have Jared Buzzard. Oh. And with $50 donation. On the dot. Jared, your producer of episode 80, and he writes... Keep at it, gentlemen. Love all the insight, guidance, and direction. Thanks for streamlining my movie watching. Love your cheddar, but, uh, Buzzwell Catering. <laughs> now I have to explain cheddar on the podcast. Okay. I never thought I had to do that. So we have a friend uh, in my company uh, named Luis. Uh, he would always go Vincenzo. Then it got shortened to Chen's. Ah. And then somehow it went to Cheddar at some point. That's how it happens. Uh, the worst variant of this is Jared calls me Bruce Cheddar. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> no, oh, no. we're going to start calling you Bruce Cheddar. <laughs> no. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's why I should have never, we'll <laughs> never explained this. <laughs> okay, so, Jared, thank you so much. $50, Vin. Yeah. $50. Uh, Jared, you are an executive producer of the Daily Ratings, executive producer of episode 80. We thank you so much. Uh, it's, it, it's really turned into a great year. We have producers every episode, it Absolutely. seems like, so far. I'm sure we won't now for episodes to come that I've said it. All of you have been writing in and, and, and donating. Thank you so much. You're helping this keep going. You're letting us know how much you're enjoying it, things like that. And it really is. It's helping us keep this going with the kind of, even just the bills that we have, the upkeep of this. Mm. We're very streamlined here. We don't have a lot of overhead. <laughs> uh, but it just, it, it costs money to do this. Yep, you know what yep. I mean? And, and every little bit that you guys send our way, you help produce the daily ratings. It really is. It's a real producer credit to your name. Folks, if you yourself want to become a producer... You go to the dailyratings.com, you go to the producer tab, and through monetary support, you go ahead and donate uh, anything you want towards us. And you can write in a note, just like Jared did. We'll read it here. And it's uh, it's a big thanks to you. Uh, if you want... So, yeah, if you want to become a producer, that's how you do it. It's a value-for-value model. So, basically, are you getting value from the podcast, from the website, from the newsletter? Um, what value are, are you... Can you send some of that value back towards us? Mm -hmm. And that's the idea. We have set amounts that are kind of fun, has to do with the podcast. Uh, But if you want to go ahead and just give $50 like Jared did, you can go ahead and do that too. It's a value for value. Uh, Like I said, it's at dailyratings.com. Go to the the donations tab. And if you want to sign up for the newsletter now that it's out and about and 
the, the, the hey, the reviews are in, Ben. <laughs> and the newsletter, pe- people are loving the newsletter. <laughs> They're fanatical. This over is it. easy, Rotten Tomatoes, ninety nine percent easy. Uh, if you want to be part of the newsletter, you just go down to the bottom of any page of the website, uh, put your name, your email in. Uh, you have to confirm that, and you're good to go. That'll be coming out on a weekly basis on Tuesday mornings like it did this week. And I think that's pretty much it. Jared, thank you so much. Vin, we'll continue here. We have our two newly released films. This is Evil Dead Rise, mm-hmm. directed by Lee Cronin, and not connected to Evil Dead at all. <laughs> right. So how does this kind of, I'm assuming we have this book, people are reading the book. Yep. How do we kind of get into it? How do we like <laughs> this this, rendi- this rendition? Yeah, so uh, this was written and directed by Lee Cronin, uh, who is fairly new, with only one other feature film under his belt, uh, A24's The Hole in the Ground from 2019. I've never seen it. No. Um, he also has some TV work under his name. Uh, this one had me interested, though. I'll say that the trailer was really showing me something really scary, some real scary shit. I think, I, I forget if we talked about it on the show or, or off the show, Tom, but, you know, despite 2023 being packed to the brim with horror so far, nothing has been actually scary. Mm. And I was craving something to be really scary, seeing if I could even be scared, you know? That's a good point, because a lot of what's come out is either bad Mm-hmm. Like Megan. Yeah. Uh, cool, but not necessarily scary, like Infinity Pool. Mm. Oh, absolutely. But we haven't had like our, ju- our I don't know, jump scares. We haven't had our scary, scary stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Nothing to scare the pants off you. So let me tell you, I was so happy when I saw that this was one really scary movie. Really? Oh, yeah. This was wow. a good movie. I'm coming out very pleased with Evil Dead Rise. And almost against all odds. Yeah, because like. I'm not really a fan of the franchise, you know. Sue me, but uh, it's just it yeah. doesn't work. For and no me. one was like asking for this. I don't right, think exactly, especially <laughs> after the ten-year radio silence coming off of um, you know uh, the Evil Dead 2013. Right. Yep. So wow. Uh, the Book of the Dead is found yet again, but finally the series separates itself from that played-out cabin in the woods vibe. This time, it is a condemned apartment building in our setting and. And that building being an old bank holding secrets in its vault. Uh, set design, honestly, was fantastic. The look of this entire building was so detailed. Um, I actually meant to write down the, who was doing production design on this, but was really, I mean, really stand out. I feel like this building had equally a lived-in feel, kind of a cool a hipstery vibe, if you will, but then also able to transform into a very, very terrifying place uh, once things get kicked off. Yeah, and, and it's Nick Bassett who did the art direction, mm, yeah. uh, who also did art some art direction for Castaway, for Guns, uh, Akimbo. Oh, wow. Which apparently has really cool style to it, actually. Okay, okay. And then Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it got me. Oh, that was the bear trap. <laughs> I caught myself with that. That's interesting, though, that you were taking note of just how detailed it was or how yeah. how that feel of an apartment was. That's good that it's getting the, the kind of surroundings good. Absolutely. Or, or getting the surroundings well. Yeah. And, and, and the script early on plants so many seeds as to why it might be difficult to leave this place. And I feel like that helped scratch the logic itch I always have and felt from previous entries in the franchise of why 
are they going to this cabin? You know, it right. is already a lived-in place. It kind of, you know, the book happens upon them and is now transforming an already difficult kind of apartment building to leave. It's dilapidated. It's condemned, mm. you know. So I, I right off the back, that was a that was a big highlight. Instead of some dumb adults <laughs> acting idiotic, uh, the script gives us a misfit family to act idiotic. Uh, has a mother, uh, her sister, and three kids. Uh, this might seem like horror 101, but when the evil starts flowing, this did wonders for the tension that it created. Uh, now when a demonic force spits out a insult as in the usual Evil Dead style, it comes from the mouth of a family member, creating much more of a emotional dilemma to see if there's any humanity left in that that possessed person hmm. kind of a zombie dilemma if you will of if they can save them if they're too far gone and i felt like that again doesn't sound too complex was doing wonders in what otherwise is in this entire franchise of people that don't really care about each other so they don't really care about each other when they start hacking up their bodies <laughs> so <laughs> that that little twist is why i think this was you know it was it was working a lot better for me uh, I really like the variety of ages in our characters as well. Having kids in the plot helped me with some of those idiocy that is needed to move horror along. I think I was much better with kids being the idiots than just, you know, fully grown adults. Yeah, it totally helps. <laughs> it's And it's easier for a kid to be a competent character yeah. because you're expecting less as well. Right, exactly. So you give it a longer Maybe leash to be Maybe they play for a trick. You know? Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's easy. You give them a longer leash to be dumb, yeah. but also when they're competent, it's like even more. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But uh, folks, there is only one performance we need to talk about, and that is Alyssa Sutherland. Uh, she comes from the show Vikings, mm. and she plays the mother Ellie here. Oh my God, this has to be one of the best horror performances I've seen in the last five years. That's she saying is, a lot. Yeah. That's saying a lot. Oh yeah. And I mean it. I, I, re- I was looking back in those five years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she is phenomenal electric i i would easily see the movie again just to see her performance wow oh yeah uh if you've seen any of the marketing for this folks you have maybe caught a glance at how terrifying she is but i can assure you she has so much more to give in this movie she's the key to i think the balancing act of how comedic elements work in this as well this is not trying to strip it from camp I would say this is a very good entry in the franchise of Evil Dead as well because mm. it balances really chaotic, vile, joking demons possessing our characters. And I feel like finally I was able to fully enjoy the entertainment side of these movies. The chaotic demons have just the right amount of f***ed up jokes and no one does it better than uh, Alyssa Sutherland. She really has a perfect balance of when she needs to be absolutely bone-chilling, terrifying. Mm -hmm. She's there. And when she needs to maybe make the audience have a a nervous laugh out of what's coming out of her mouth, it's right there as well. I think it's a phenomenal performance. Wow. That's really high praise. That's cool. I mean, that's great that it's coming out of this... Right. I mean, who's expecting it? Exactly. Yeah. Who is expecting it from this, you know? Once again, we are we're going around the bend with Evil Dead. You know, <laughs> Ten years later after a failed reboot. It, it, it's fantastic. So, uh, The build-up to the horror was great. I love how we care just enough about the characters in the apartment buildings. It's not nothing, but it's just enough. We're not you know, over-focusing on it. And seeing how the setup is used to truly terrorize the character and, and the audience is key. Uh, this is not a heavy jump scare movie. 
Uh, honestly, none of these are. I wouldn't really compare Evil Dead to any kind of jump scare. Uh, rather, Which oftentimes are cheap anyway. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything, that's what I was worried, that this was just going to be a jump scare fest. Right, yeah. You know? Rather, it earns the fear because characters are honestly just tortured with the grim truth that there is no way out of this. Uh, so when it comes to that, again, Horror 101, it's not rocket science to make me, you know, to have a character you can empathize with a little bit. But that's something that honestly I felt was missing from this entire franchise. Maybe Bruce Campbell, just because he's so, you know, he's such a character. Yeah, Bruce himself. Campbell was kind of the one element in those originals that you could at least uh, get on board with oh, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Because yeah. he's great. But. <laughs> right. You can't put them in everything, right. <laughs> and you know there needs to be a, a, a there is a better way mm-hmm. to make me care about characters rather than having this larger than life character, you know, saying "Hail to the King, baby," you know, and stuff right. like that. In the legacy of Sam Raimi, this film has many inventive camera angles, and uh, that once again is used uh, in combination with a great set design. I think my favorite was using the door peepholes as a fisheye to really distort and stretch characters. For sure, that's been done before to mm-hmm. great use. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it's really not the most amazing thing to have a fish eyes lens as a door peephole. But how it was paired and how it was relaying to us that whoever was possessed in that scene is really gone. You know, mm-hmm. they're no longer human. Uh, it was just so fantastic. I was really, wow. I was in love with it. Uh, but Tom, uh, finally, and I mean finally, a great horror movie. Uh, this was better than Barbarian uh, from last year, better than every horror film to come out last year. Wow. Uh, and there are a cer- lot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <It's a lot. laughs> uh, and certainly better, uh, and certainly the best of this year so far. Folks at home, if you are a diehard Evil, uh, Evil Dead fan, if you love all the camp, I'm honestly dying to know what you think of this film because I think it hits it out of the park with a perfect balance of horror and over-the-top camp easily being my favorite of the series. We're going to go ahead and give Evil Dead Rise a 79. Wow, 79% is a great score. Yeah. I'm happy for you. Oh, you're right. One, I want so much evil, more, yeah. <laughs> and it's all shit. Yeah, and Evil Dead is finally good. <laughs> right, finally. exactly. It only took a few decades to get there. <laughs> right. Um, 79% for a horror film is really good, folks. Oh, yeah. Really good. I mean, that's even territory of, like, maybe I should watch it then. Sure, Because sure. we cover a lot. There was a lot last year. Mm-hmm. A lot. We came pre-packed, like, when we launched last year, yep. we came with 20 episodes pre-packaged mm-hmm. which was a whole other october basically Ooh. and so we covered right. a lot here on the podcast yeah and 79 is really telling yeah um, and barbarian you know surprising. what i compare it to maybe even a bodies 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 barbarian those are good movies i feel like this captures just a a real a true, horror you know yeah. i wasn't like closing my eyes or anything like that but there was almost like a an alertness. Yeah, yeah, yeah like I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely, uh, definitely enthralled by this. Wow, so. and it did pretty well over the over the weekend too. Yeah, and it made twenty five million mm-hmm. for a horror for an opening weekend after against Super Mario. It's, right. it's, that's fantastic. <laughs> right. Wow, 79% Evil Dead Rise. Don't sleep on it. Also, don't worry about doing homework for all the other <laughs> right, Evil Dead. You can just watch it on You can just go ahead and watch it. Right. It's going to be definitely, it, hey, it's a wide release. It's going to be in theaters for a while if it keeps up kind of these numbers. So go check it out, Evil Dead Rise with a 79%. All right, Ben, we'll go with our last film here. Let's see if we can keep it up. This is Joaquin Phoenix, big kind of movie that's coming out. Big A24 like- release for sure. 
Yes, exactly. And I don't know if it's as wide release as some of these others that we've re- covered, like uh-huh. a Super Mario or even Evil Dead. It's in not as many theaters, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it's out now. It's Bo is Afraid. This is our long one of the week. It's, it's approaching three hours. <laughs> so kind of unravel. Just basically, what is this story about? You know, and 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 who is who is Joaquin Phoenix? Because I feel like it might be kind of a lot. Uh, it definitely is. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, there's no short answer there. Um, it is kind of in the title, Bo is Afraid. Uh, yep. Bo is afraid of everything. Okay. Uh, and has uh, many degrees of paranoid delusion, even borderline schizophrenia. The film puts us in first person of that. There's a lot of hype around this one from all corners of the internet, uh, and buckle up because it's it's a challenging movie. Uh, it is a challenging movie to review and a challenging movie to watch, maybe even more so to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw this one with my mother. Uh, that's how you know A24 has a grasp on the market. Uh, she kept calling it Brian is running. <laughs> is running <laughs> which is so good <laughs> and folks those of you who see the film you'll see uh, how wrong of a choice it was to see with my mom so <laughs> uh there's there's that don't watch it with your mother that's that's that's, yeah, that's, it, that's point number I, i'll say this it's billed as comedy drama horror yeah is how it's billed i would say that's dead on it okay. is very weird and out there but it is it is kind of a three-part juggling act of comedy horror and drama Interesting. Which is, uh, you know. It sounds perfect for Joaquin Phoenix. I I just don't (laughs) know too much about the film. I haven't seen much on it. I haven't seen any clips or things like that. The most I can go is someone's quick write-ups on it or something like that. Sure, And kind of get the the general gist of things. And that's why I also think it just seems like a confusing movie a bit to talk about. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Perfect for Joaquin Phoenix, I will say. Intentionally so. Intentionally so. I think a a lot of it is left to um, not have clear answers. And yeah, it's, it's definitely a film that's trying to have a, not a discussion around it, but be definitely a little bit of a, a head spin as you're coming out of it. Yeah, and you're someone who kind of knows this director a little bit too, because you covered his past films. Yes, yeah, yeah. And he's a little, he's interesting. He's not, he's not like a major pl- player, uh, but he, he has a bit of a cult following yeah, behind him. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. a rising star. Uh, Ari Aster, uh, honestly, has had kind of a skyrocket career from nothing as one of the indie darlings of 2010s, uh, mm-hmm. alongside peers like Robert Eggers and Alex Gardland. Uh, his first, first feature film, Hereditary, in 2018 is considered a new classic among horror films. I personally felt the the hype around the film kind of soiled it a little bit for me, but his follow-up, Midsummer in 2019, is where it all clicked for me. Um, that film being wonderfully surreal as this unique, bright horror, like a scary movie in major key. It, it was really great stuff. So I was really excited uh, coming across Bo is Afraid. Bo is Afraid continues to show that Aster is one of the boldest filmmakers working today. I think if there's any wow. universal praise here is that this movie is a movie like no other. Wow, it's that? Okay. Oh, yeah. It, and it's a big production, too. Three Hours, uh, Joaquin, you know, this, this there's, a, there's a lot. For, A24, uh, which is a big, A24 is a big player now. Yeah. Certainly yeah. not an indie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they may be stylized as indie, but yes, they're not indie. Yeah, they're a, corporate now. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. From a technical and production standpoint, I could see certain film buffs absolutely 
you know, adoring this movie. It is all at once frightening, beautiful, and very messy. Uh, but you can be sure there isn't much like it. Joaquin plays Bo, a hyper-paranoid, mentally ill man who experiences the world through a pinhole of anxiety. And I really mean that. It is mm. this laser anxiety <laughs> on him. Uh, <laughs> he seems to be below a normal functioning member of society uh, by a combination of deep mommy issues and immense fear of the greater world. Uh, and when a trip to see his mother goes wrong, this spirals Bo into a unwanted adventure, and I mean unwanted, he doesn't want to leave, uh, of self-discovery and surrealism. There's a lot going on here. I'm going to come right out and say I, I love the first half of the movie and pretty much close to hated the second half. Mm, wow. Um, and you That know, much of a difference, huh? Yeah. Also kind of a reverse of my thoughts on Hereditary. I feel like the second half was much stronger in Hereditary, so... Uh, it's a challenging one to talk about. This is like a this is like a blonde moment, you know. It's not not blonde mm. moment. <laughs> blonde with Anna Right? Hearts, no, no, no. Yeah. I understand. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of explain it in a simple good and bad a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think when this film is at its best, uh, it's giving the audience a nightmarish first person look into what being a paranoid schizophrenic might be mm. like. The world is portrayed as totally insane. Uh, with us not being able to read characters' intentions and constantly thrown into dangerous situations, Bo's normal life is chock full of, in equal parts, naked homeless killers, abusive and intrusive internal thoughts, and straight-up crazy people everywhere. Bo experiences frequent loss in time uh, and big gaps, uh, hearing voices of conspiracy in his head, and generally appears to be just full on nuts. <laughs> Not to be insensitive, uh, but yeah, it, it is. It is like first person crazy simulator, basically. And, I mean, I can't help. And again, I said it before, but I can't help but think that the carrier for that being Joaquin Phoenix is oh. probably perfect. Yes, yes. Or really sells it. Yeah, he really does. Uh, it's sold like in an innocence, and definitely the big theme here is that. Bo does not want to experience the greater world because the greater world is terrifying. Right. Um, but a lot of confusion as well. When Bo's confused, guess what? We're confused. <laughs> so Interesting, yeah. That's what I mean by this first person. We're really, you know, almost literally stepping into his shoes of how he's seeing reality around him. Um, I mean, it's very impressive yeah. to, do, to do that on film and to give the I mean. audience that experience. It's yeah. a bold experience. Yeah. So that, that's where there's a, you know, a hint of disappointment that I really was on board with it. As crazy as it is, I was on board for it in the first half, but that second half, I mean, man, I'll get into it. Okay. But uh, this, is, uh, this, this kind of reality uh, is shown flawlessly in Nathan Lane's character, uh, who takes care of Bo after an accident in a kind of a misery-style scenario. Constantly, we are second-guessing if he's an insane kidnapper or just an altruistic dad mm. trying to help a guy out. Uh, and Nathan Lane is, is phenomenal in it for that. It's great. So I love Nathan Lane. Yeah, I don't know why it got me. There's actually a lot of comedy in this. Uh, it's like this absurdist comedy, but uh, he's, he's grilling. He's like, "You got the tri tip," and I just I don't know. It's, it's great. <laughs> he was really funny in this. The first hour of this, honestly, my jaw was on the floor because I felt like, "Wow, I'm seeing truly a new type of horror movie." Mm. One where the reality we see is completely skewed by the delusions of our main character, 
a sort of first-person horror. And just experiencing this anxious hell that Bo lives in, it was fantastic. Um, we as the audience ask ourselves nearly constantly and verbally in my, in my theater, people were <laughs> outspoken about this in saying, what does this all mean? Mm. <laughs> and I feel like that exactly captures Bo's experience. Are these dots he needs to connect? Mm. Are, is this something that leads to something that has meaning or is it just a delusion? And I feel like the film captures that so perfectly uh, in the first half at least. Uh, <laughs> but real talk uh this is just far too long three hours is a marathon when you consider how far out and how much of an assault on the senses this film is yeah it's uh, <laughs> putting the audience through a, through misery yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've had the movie watching experience of you're gonna want to bring some water make sure you have some water <laughs> right, on you, you know? right. <laughs> it's like this is not even the movie to like watch inebriated in any way. Like, I feel like oh, this like is it, a buzzkill yeah. in how anxious it is. Any any relation you would say to maybe a Babylon? Super long, mm. super just crazy, trying to put the audience through a whirlwind. Um, much better than Babylon. Yeah. Um, well, right. We know you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's putting you on a roller coaster. But this is far. Just yeah, far different? Yeah, okay. different. And, and because it's so absurd. It's designed to be absurdist. Okay. Um, so with this, you like the first half, or yeah. at least awestruck by it a little bit. Yep. The second half, half is it is that it's a massive switch that happens, or is it because the sheer length wears you down? I think uh, a little bit of both, but definitely the sheer length wears you down. You okay. hit the nail on the head there. Um, I had many people leaving early in the theater, really? and uh, the many who stayed were vocally upset by the end, walking out saying that this, this was a waste of time. Why did you bring me to see this this trash? You know, yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was some mean words. <laughs> this wasn't no, you know, applause at the end. <laughs> cans <laughs> you know? no it was it was an angry theater so uh <laughs> that first half is certainly chaotic and fits in the vision of his delusions but that second half starts with an out of place animated bit and really only spirals from there mm. um Believe it or not, this is meant to be a comedy, like you said. I mean, it's like you see comedy thrown in there, like, what? Okay. <laughs> but it really is. And often got laughs from the theater, myself included, for just how absurd things are. Um, folks, if you enjoy the absurdist comedy in something like Everything Everywhere or even like a Being John Malkovich, uh, I think this might be your bag a little bit more. Um, most of the times I was on board with it, but uh, a few towards the end were just really dumb and, and kind of added to it. I feel like it, uh, I was, I, I was enjoying the absurdist comedy, but I feel like it compounded towards the end. Right. At a certain point, and, and just to really pinpoint my problem with this, uh, at a certain point, the delusions of Bo are exchanged with reality and the film just kind of stays as absurd. The story has multiple times where they tell the audience and Bo definitively what he is experiencing is real by visual cues, by actual characters. And I felt this was just a total misstep specifically for the horror of what we experience simply knowing that there are no answers to it. Instead, plot events lose that wonderful aspect of Delusion's presence in the earlier parts and loses that unique horror created through that. That unique horror that I was saying, wow, Aster basically made a new horror classic, defined what a horror could be in this bright upbringing way or upbeat way in Midsummer, and yet again is redefining horror. I think he has, but mm. I don't think it's good. 
because of that second half. It, it gets a little bit too in the weeds. It gets a little bit too detail-focused. Uh, I know I can't go much deeper with, with spoilers, but that's really the answer there of why I think the second half, you know. Interesting. I, it really... I borderline hated it, honestly. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it doesn't help, and it really brings it down that much more when you're sitting there for three hours. Yeah. 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 This animated part, mm-hmm. uh, that was a big piece where people were leaving. Uh, this animated part, it goes through this, like, he's watching a play, and his imagination is running wild once mm-hmm. again. It just it just goes on for too long and kind of lays out a secondary story plot of his whole life, and it's just like... Meandering. Man, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about fat to trim. Yeah. It's right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a good chunk. So I'll wrap up with saying this. I wish I would have said this with one particular review in the past, and it is that I don't understand this whole film. Uh, and with as many movies as I watch, I'm very comfortable in saying that, that this one is needs a secondary watch, wow. needs a deep dive I mean, to it's saying really a lot. grasp. That yeah. is really saying a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with knowing where the story goes, I feel confident in my assessment of where this film works and where it doesn't. Uh, so, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not gonna, you know, I, I will be giving it a score, but where that story tries to go in the final act, showing some sort of reason for the madness, um, that's where it begs to be seen again, and that is where I come to my score, in that I never want to sit through this film again. Wow. We're gonna go ahead and give Bo is Afraid a 47. Wow. It, I, I hope... This is one where I great I'm, review. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one where I really I'm so thankful for the podcast because a 47 could easily be middle of the road Netflix fodder. Mm. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, Ryan Reynolds' right. second movie of the year on Netflix. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. But equally, it could be a very problematic masterpiece, uh, and it just not working for wow. me. Wow, and and very so, hard to recommend for others. Yeah, very true. I mean. It almost sounds like watch it if you want to study film in yeah. a certain way or study something. You really or... like Aster as a director. You sure, want to be yeah, you want to follow the director, sure. be yeah. challenged, something like that. Wow, I mean, yeah, that's a great review. You're so right about the podcast too. It's something where you know you go online, you see the 47, and sometimes it just helps to hit you know that listen to the review <laughs> button. Yeah, go yeah. to it and, and just give it that give it a listen. Absolutely, that context is so important sometimes. Yeah, for a film like this, it's very yeah. I mean, it's a tough one. Like I said, this was a challenge. I saw this movie and the first thought was like, oh boy, <laughs> well, how the hell am I gonna <laughs> review this this monstrosity? I mean, I like uh, especially for how torn I was. I mean, there's wonderful aspects. We are legit. So we are legitimately approaching a thousand films that you have reviewed. Right. Now, ob- now on the site, there's around 660. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so some haven't gotten on there that we've done in the podcast, and then, yep. of course we always had this master list of of years of yep. of non podcast re- mm-hmm. reviews that we did, just me and you, that we have to get on there. But still, it's almost a thousand that we've sat down and seriously given reviews to, and for you to still come across like this. Mm. Um, I'm one impressed then, just on the, <laughs> you know, you know, that 10,000-foot view of this film. Right. I'm extremely impressed that it's being able to do this. Yeah. And curious. Wow, it, it's that's something. Hey, hey maybe, maybe watch it. I, I'd love a Tommy Two Shoes on this. What if I loved it? What if I watched it and I was like, <laughs> I was all on board? That would be hilarious. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love it. Okay, so Bo is afraid. I think we'll kind of just end that there. Yeah. Uh, one and of the most unique horrors I've ever seen. People write in tom.vin at thedailyratings.com if 
you watch it or want to just, you know oh, I mean? If yeah. you don't want to donate, just have uh, two cents to put into it. Mm-hmm. That's something I would be interested in hearing about. Absolutely. Uh, Vin, looking at uh, looking at this kind of array of films here this week, anything you want to add? Anything next week or any? What? Uh, well, next week we are doing a anime special for Ooh. Makoto Shinkai, who had a new release, uh, Suzume. So going to do five movies from him. Not your average uh, out there anime. He's very safe anime, if <laughs> what I would say. And big, like his stuff is kind of well known. Oh yeah, like our audience. Yeah, people yeah. who are listening are gonna Absolutely. be interested in hearing like, it. The biggest films in their years as they came out in Japan. And Suzume is it's it's a new that's our new release. Yep, yep, exactly. So All right, I'm excited to give a dive there. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, uh, glad glad I was able to see Evil Dead Rise. Uh, man, I, I I think I. I think I may buy that on Blu-ray when it comes out. Wow! I re- man, I just I love I mean, the style. A seventy-nine for a horror is huge. I oh, mean, like yeah. you said, it, well, the past five years, one of the best horrors you've seen. Yeah, yeah. That's big talk, right? That's right. big talk. Yeah. Uh, Vin, thank you so much for watching these movies. We will see you next week, and folks at home, we'll run it down one more time. We have The Lord of the Rings, the nineteen seventy-eight version with a sixty-six percent. Evil Dead with a 40%, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On with a 77 Evil Dead Rise with a 79 and finally, Bo is Afraid with a 47%. Folks, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, could you give us a good rating or tell a friend about us? If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you just like to see more movie ratings for Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you receive from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, folks, but we also want to be independent from those corporate sponsors, so we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.